Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Security Squad Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Brian Horning with Exact IT Solutions up here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I have with me my other co-hosts, Reginald Andre from Arc Solvers in Miami, Florida, and Randy Bryan from Tech, Tech Rescue in San Marcos, Texas, both in probably really nice weather, and I'm sitting here in what's soon to be winter weather. Mm. I have a sweatshirt on today, so you can tell where I'm at. So, uh, guys, welcome to the show. Uh, I look forward to today's show. I think we got a really cool topic to educate people on around ransomware and ransomware attackers and straight up 10 ways that ransomware attackers pressure you into paying a ransom. I bet you most people probably only thought there were like one or two ways. So we're going to dive into some ransomware attacks uh, and talk about different ways that these criminals have used different tactics to pressure you into paying the ransom. Uh, before I do that, there's a fee to listen to the show. It's a simple fee. Randy, do you know what the fee is? Yeah, the fee is to like, share, and subscribe. Oh, um, if yeah, you guys right. enjoy the content that we're putting out, we really would encourage you share it on your Facebook. Um, like, subscribe to the channel if you're watching it on YouTube. Um, that, that way we get the word out and more people can listen to it. Um, that's our fee. That is our fee. So just you know, help us grow the show organically uh and you know however you can share it if you can share the podcast link out if you can share one of our videos that are on social media because we live stream this to facebook we live stream it to linkedin now we live stream it on youtube uh so we're in a lot of different places for you to just click that little share button and maybe write a little bit of context take 15 seconds and tell people why it's a worthwhile podcast for them to listen to um, and we thank you for that because the show grows every week. Uh, gentlemen, 10 ways ransomware attackers pressure you into paying the ransom. Um, so we were talking about in the green room, this article, uh, that was on tech Republic by a really good reporter named Lance Whitney. Uh, and he released it this morning. Uh, and I think we can kind of share some of our insights and this is like, this article, we're not going to necessarily go verbatim on this. We're going to kind of share uh, some of our expertise and knowledge around these types of things and maybe talk about some things that aren't in this in, in, in this article or uh, on this list that Lance put together. Um, but it's interesting uh, the different ways that businesses are being forced into paying these ransoms. Uh, and a lot of people don't realize, I think, two things that I want to highlight, the different tactics and the different amounts, because I think business owners uh, view of where ransomware payments are, are severely skewed to the low side. I don't think most people realize how much they're going to have to pay these cyber criminals. Um, and you can't just sit there and say, well, I have backups. Like backups aren't going to prevent you from paying a ransom depending on the circumstances, um, but they will potentially help you get back up and running, but that's not going to preclude you from paying the ransom, right? So anything that you guys want to talk about before we get into the first one around just like how they pressure, you know, businesses into paying the ransom or what other things you might want to talk about? 
Well, a couple of things. I mean, one, they're they're getting really good at psychological operations, aka psyops. I think. Yeah, they're um, very. They've always been very good at that, in my opinion. Like, and, and and the crazy thing is also the the ransom isn't even all of the expense that's involved in a ransomware attack. Um, but I've I've seen them get into people's heads, and it's disturbing. Um, it really is. And um, it's good to know these kind of things in advance um, because they're going to come if you get ransomware. Um, and it's good to know these things in advance, because if they get in your head, then you make dumb, dumb decisions um, and you do stupid things. So that's my two cents. And for me, um, I'm just reminded that these groups are businesses. Their their job is to make money and to and to be profitable. So if they see one way is not working or people are not responding to attacks, as we're going to learn here, they're going to figure out other ways, um, as Randy said, to get in your head and, and try to get you to make a dumb decision and paying these ransom. 100%. So the first thing identified uh, for these 10 ways is vowing to publicly release the data. And I think that that's, uh, at least if you follow this podcast or watch uh, any of our our social media, you're going to know about this thing called double extortion. Um, and if you're not familiar with ransomware, you probably don't know what double extortion is. So Andre, real quick, what is double extortion for our friends who might not be as familiar with ransomware as maybe most some people? Right. So essentially what they're saying is that we have um, we have your data. And if you don't pay us, we're, we're, essentially, they're going to try to get money from you and they're going to try to get money from somebody else. Maybe this sensitive information belongs to one of your suppliers um, or maybe your customer. And now they're going to go to that section and say, we have your data and we're going to release it unless you pay us. So they're they're trying to get the money on both sides. And then ransomware, obviously, they're going to get they're going to request that you pay them with the pressure that they're going to publicly release it. I'm just going to kind of play devil's advocate here, Randy. And I ask you, what if I'm a business owner who thinks like, I don't care. My data is not that important. Nobody would want it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A couple of good points. I mean, exactly what Andre uh, said for sure. And then also, I mean, it's almost multiple extortion if you really think about it, because they're trying to extort, one, your data by encrypting it. And then two, they're 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 putting the screws on you a double way by the fact that they pulled your data out already and they're threatening threatening to release it on the dark web. And you you ask the question. So, you know, what if I just say, well, my data's not really worth that much or whatever. You know, along those lines, I hear that a lot. The data is worth a lot of money on the dark web. Um, even if they don't get money for it, they can use it against you. I mean, think about if your if your customer list was released onto the dark web, maybe there was no identif identifiable information other than an email list. Well, then they take those emails, they start impersonating you and sending emails to all of your customers. I mean, there's so many things that they can do. And so it's more than just, you know, well, my data's not really worth that much because your data is. They can use it in a, in a multitude of ways, whether or not they sell it 
or whether they use it in a ploy against you or, or to even get into your customers' uh, networks. There's a lot of things that they can do with it. There's a lot of things they can do with it. And I think like one perspective that I wish business owners would understand is, you know, you, if you have, you know, the, if you have high profile clients, big clients, government entities, your data is worth something. Your data is worth something to your business and your reputation is worth something to your business. And these guys, it's not beneath them to, steel maybe maybe you're an engineer right and you're thinking oh i just build buildings what are they going to do with my plans well somebody hired you to create those plans somebody hired you to help build a building uh or you're currently building a building and it's not beneath these guys to call those clients and say guess who's not taking care of your security and guess Mm -hmm. whose files i have right these are the things that are happening out there so you feel pressure to to pay the ransom and and I, and I think we did a good job of painting a complete picture here for what this looks like. Um, that they will, they will contact, you know, your, your people directly. And that's one of the points on here is that they will contact partners, customers, and the media in some cases. So are you guys familiar with any events where they actually contacted the media to let people know that this is going on? I've not seen where they reached out to the media, but I've seen where the media reached out to them. Right. Um, and discussed well. what was going on. Correct. I've seen that as well. I've, I've seen, I've seen the media reach out and then, and then the discussions go from there. I, I don't recall a hacking group going to the media to necessarily announce. They may, I've seen it where they provided proof. Mm-hmm. They were the ones behind the attack. <clears throat> um, but I don't think I've seen it where they've come out directly. But they, I have seen it where they will contact customers or data that they've stolen of another vendor. Um, I think of, you know, somebody in, the, in like the Department of Defense or uh, where, where you're working with maybe like a large defense contractor like a Lockheed Martin and you uh, have a contract with like a Lockheed Martin and you, you have your data stolen and then the hackers will contact Lockheed Martin and say, Hey, this happened with Apple, right? With their, the designer of their um, MacBook covers or their, or their MacBooks, they got hacked and then they tried to extort Apple unsuccessfully uh, that we know of. Um, But they tried to extort Apple because they reached out to Apple and said, hey, we have one of your suppliers uh, files encrypted and, you know, we're not going to give it back unless you pay us. So it it doesn't behoove these guys to go out and reach out to anybody that you do business with, whether they're a client, whether they're a partner. Um, And sometimes if you're big enough or they feel like they have juicy enough information, they're going to run right to the media with it. Um, And it's very easy to do with Twitter. Um, yeah. And I've seen that more on, on the Twitter because you have like the, the regular news channels. I think they're going to be ethical in the sense of being careful. But if they have an insider scoop or something like that, they're going to try to run with the story. Um, also, here in Miami, we have this event every December where you have at least 100,000 people come in of wealthy multimillionaires buying art pieces. And now we found out um, via, via the media that um, there's their contacts, contact information of the people that are coming here 
approximately 100,000 people, wealthy um, people all over the world coming to Miami. And now that list, name, email address is now out there being sold on the dark web. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, and then the next thing that this that that, that they want to mention about these 10 ways that hackers uh, and that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about 10 ways that hackers get businesses and business owners to pay the ransom. Um, it's not just about encrypting your files. It's not about double extortion, even though that that's a very popular tactic that works very well. There's other ways that these guys go about, you know, getting paid. Um, and, you know, we want to dispel the myth, so to speak, that backups will will save you in every situation when it comes to this, because I think that that's a fallacy. A lot of business owners believe or are being told by whoever's in charge of their you know, IT and disaster recovery. So another tactic is contacting employees directly. Why, Andre, would that work? Like what would happen there? Help me. Well, you're, you're definitely going to create an ins, inside scare. You know, gossip is going to run fast within. Oh, my gosh. We just, you know, our social security numbers, our healthcare information, whatever that information is. And that's going to spread. That's going to cause um, morale in the company. And that's going to put pressure on internal management that they need to contain this. Randy, any perspective there? Yeah. Same, I mean, it go, goes back to the psychological operations, man. Um, you know, that would create rumors. It's going to it's going to mess with morale. It's going to mess with people's heads. And then also imagine you're de- you're the decision maker and you've got 10 people who, you know, give you feedback and help you make decisions. And they're all freaking out because their personal information's getting dangled over the, the jaws of the dark web, if you will. Like, you know, that's going to make them anxious and put more pressure on you. And it's going to create an atmosphere where you're more likely to make a bad decision. A bad decision. Yep. And the other piece of this is, is that you have, um, you have an issue where, the uh, employee, like I, I look at like the amount of information a business collects on their employees, right? To pay them, to do benefits and all that stuff. And now you have a hacker calling you who's now threatening to release this information, right? And that's the scary part for a business from an HR perspective is now that you have all this employee uh, information that is now in jeopardy of being released or being misused in some way for identity fraud and things like that. So, uh, you know, again, kind of in line with double extortion, but saying to the company's employees, like, Hey, put pressure on your own company to pay us, or we're going to take all your information and, and use it for, for bad. Um, this is just another tactic that these guys are using. So, um, I want to jump into another point here, and this is kind of a newer one uh, that people need to be aware of um, because what these it's a very much a cat and mouse game when you're dealing with ransomware attackers and you have uh, you have a situation now where I'm seeing it more and more with when you're getting an insurance company involved or you're filing a claim. These guys are asking you right off the bat. The cyber criminals are. Do you have cyber insurance? Are you working with a cyber insurance company uh, or a professional negotiator? And one of the things that they're saying now is that the one of the ways they get you to pay is they warn the victims up front not to contact law enforcement. So um, why 
you know, why, it seems like a very smart tactic. Um, but, it's just, you know, I guess, Randy, I'm going to throw this one to you because you talked about the psychological warfare and that's kind of what, what this is, right? They don't really know. In my mind, I'm going, well, they don't really know you contact the law enforcement unless you tell them, right? So why would the threat of not to contact law enforcement lead to a business paying the ransom? Help Walk us through that. Man, I, I don't know if I can cover all of the aspects, but I'm just thinking of like in a kidnapping situation, you know, that like every movie that, that has kidnapping involved, what's the first thing they say? Don't go to the authorities mm-hmm. because they don't want the authorities to come in and give you help and, t- and tips and then also maybe trick trip up the criminals. Um, same thing here. Um, they, they don't want you know, someone to get insight into this that's dealt with these people a hundred times, you know, if they make a threat, hey, we're going to do this. Well, somebody that's dealt with them a hundred times knows that they're not able to do that. Or, you know, maybe their threats are bigger than they really are, whatever. Um, I think that that's one thing. And then also having the law involved is going to help potentially put you at ease a little bit. Because you've got someone there that's experienced that you can rely on and rest on, you know, who can tell you when, you know, 11 of you are in a room and 10 of you are screaming, you know, pay the ransom. They're going to release my my personal information and having the law enforcement officer say, well, let's don't do that. Everybody take a deep breath. Everybody relax. So there's a lot of reasons why it would be in your benefit to have the law involved and not in the criminal's benefit. Randy or um, Andre, any anything to add there? Yeah, they, the the hackers know that law enforcement is just going to get in the way, and and mm-hmm. the less people that they can deal with and and just get the money and run is is the better for them. Yeah, I agree. Plus, it also puts them in the crosshairs of law enforcement, which means like, you know, I don't think most businesses go to law enforcement. I think this is a rarity. <clears throat> um, if anything, they they'll be more apt to go to maybe a breach attorney or an attorney to help them through this without going to law enforcement or they'll hire or they'll just work with their insurance company. Um, you know, but what are the things I want to mention and, and just a tip for everybody who's kind of listening and paying attention to our podcast is this is all stuff that we're covering that you should be thinking about before these events happen. And why we're bringing them up to you now is because in most instances where we see a ransomware attack, these things aren't defined ahead of time. Who to call, who who we're actually going to engage in. So you're in the middle of a ransomware attack and you're trying to figure out, do we call law enforcement? Do we call our insurance company? Do we call our lawyer? Right. So like if you're going to actually do something like this and, and everybody should be preparing for a ransomware attack, like if you're just like you're, you have fire drills, if you have a building um, and you're preparing for a fire drill, you know, you hope that a fire doesn't happen. And in the same sense, you hope a ransomware doesn't attack doesn't happen. But the last thing you want to do is be faced with a ransomware attack and then try to start figuring all this stuff out. So identify whether or not you're going to call an insurance company, if you're going to call the FBI, if you're going to call law local law enforcement, if you're going to call a lawyer who specializes in breaches, um, those are all very viable options. But that's you have to figure that out now. You have to put it in place. You everybody who would be involved in responding to 
a ransomware attack or some kind of breach needs to be aware of who is the first person that we need to call if this event happens. I'm going to just go out on a limb here and just give you a word of advice. If you're a business owner or you're an IT person and you think that that person is you or you're the business owner and you think that that's your IT person, I have some news to tell you. That is the wrong person. The last person you want to get involved in a breach first is your IT person. There should be definitely be somebody else involved prior to the IT person. And that person who comes in should be able to play the role of quarterback who understands the dynamic of an attack. They should not be an IT person who is just going to go in there and start trying to fix things and get the hacker out of the system and make your life a hell of a lot worse because now they just basically blew up your forensics, so to speak. And that's just one bad thing that can happen in these scenarios. So, um, so the next thing we want to talk about is uh, enlisting insiders, right? So some criminals will try to uh, convince employees or insiders to help them infiltrate an organization to carry out a ransomware attack. And we definitely talked about this before. Uh, and usually in return, they're promising some kind of portion of the ransomware payment. Um what are your thoughts on, on this? Enlisting insiders. I know we've talked about this on this show before. Um, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say um, there is an open call right now. Um, right. I think it was dark side, but right. I can't remember who it was, but um, they were saying like, up to like 250 K if you were on the inside of an organization and you gave, you know, gave access to the, the criminals. And so, so yeah, they had to meet certain criteria for the business. You know, it was big businesses. But yes, I mean, if you're a disgruntled or dishonest employee um, who's willing to exploit their own employer, you know, here's here's some cash for you. Yeah, um, I would you know, they, I can see them doing that. I would really, really warn against that. It seems like for a forensic person, it's going to be a whole lot easier to figure out who helped from the inside than who it was from the outside. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I mean, in today's day and age, if you're working in a company and you do this, you're going to jail. Yeah. If you're in the United States, if you're within the borders of the United mm -hmm. States and you actually do this within the United States, it might take them a few months to figure out who did it and how it was done. But you're going to jail like, and you're going to spend a long time in prison. Right. But, but keep in, uh, no, of course. So there was no but to that. I didn't mean but. <laughs> but keep in mind also, we, we talked about statistics where um, executives are not even reporting this. They're just ba basically paying and moving on. So there, there's also a, a, another side of it where they could probably get away with it. But definitely, yeah, definitely not. Um, also, it's important to do, I believe it's called uh, data, data loss management, uh, where you put in like, you know, if, for example, there's files that are moving from a server to a flash drive or to a local hard drive and different things that could kind of give IT a heads up that there could be something suspicious happening uh, or disabling your USB drives and other things to kind of mitigate that rogue employee, even having the ability to do that. Good point. Good point. So anything else we want to add to insider stuff or are we good there? One more thing, conference rooms. 
a lot of times conference rooms are the weakest link because that's the where you have visitors come in. They do need to plug in a flash drive for their PowerPoint presentation or whatever. And I've seen a lot of times where conference rooms, they set up like a, a conference email address and then via SharePoint or whatever file management, everything is there. Um, so just be careful with your conference rooms as well. Good advice, good advice. So question for you guys. And this kind of jumps into the next point, just so you know, we're kind of changing gears here. So I haven't seen this too much. I know it happens. You you get you got you have to have pretty good access to, to do something like this, but not only not only do you have when you have a ransomware attack, um, like I always tell people, it, they don't just get in there and like a half hour later deploy ransomware. It's they've been in there for a while. They've been learning your network. They've been figuring out how they can break different things, get into different things. Um, usually, been in there for a couple of weeks before they actually deploy the ransomware. Um, and if they get deep enough access on the network, they can do certain things that. You know, they encrypt your files. That's one thing. But if when you call your IT guy or you call uh, a forensics team to come in, the first thing they're going to ask you is for administrator usernames and passwords so they can start logging into the systems and see what's going on. One of the tactics that, that we know of is that these ransomware attackers and these uh, advanced persistent threat actors are getting access and changing these passwords. So your IT administrators and your forensic people cannot log into the systems to do what they need to do. And this is another way they get you to pay the ransom, because if you can't unlock the system to get into it, now you're forced to pay them to get a password to an account that you used to have access to. But because your security sucks, they were able to take it over and reset all those passwords on basically any account that they want within your network, including the CEOs. So you CEO, you want your account back? You want your email back? Pay me, right? So that's what's going on. So changing passwords after the initial attack, not as common as you would think, being that they probably have the access to do it, but it's now something that they're looking at as a new thing to be like, okay, they're doing backups. They're, um, you know, they don't care about the data or they don't care that we're releasing it. So what's another tactic we can use to make sure we get paid and changing passwords on important accounts is is one of those ways. So um, thoughts here, guys? They're just making it a nuisance. They're just trying to make it as hard as possible because, yes, it is easy. If you have a server or a computer, we have tools on our flash drives that could easily, you know, reset those passwords, give us 20, 30 minutes. Uh, but when um, but when things are hitting the fan and the last thing you want to do is do all control deleting, you can't log in. Uh, that's just it just creates even more more pressure on everybody um, to just pay it and, and get back access. Um, I would just add it's pretty easy to get these passwords also. Um, pretty much any network that I ever go in that like if we take on a new client or whatever, um, there's almost always admin credentials for the domain saved on a local computer under windows credentials. Um, or you can get an idea pretty fast and like what you, you can get an idea pretty fast of their, the scheme they use for their passwords. Um, and like you were saying, um, you know, at the beginning, um, they don't just go into the network 
and just, you know, boom, you click on an email and then next thing you know, your ransomware, they're in there creeping around and they're creeping around for a long time, um, you know, months sometimes and even longer sometimes. But they're getting a list of passwords and things like that. And this almost falls back under the psychological warfare. You know what I mean? Um, because they've already got admin access to everything. That's how they're doing what they do. But when they do this, you know, it just it, it increases that feeling of I'm locked out. I'm locked out. I have no control. I can't do anything. And then once again, if you freak out, you're more likely to make a bad decision. Good stuff. So another interesting tactic that these clowns are using to further their attacks and make sure that they get paid is once you're under attack, why don't we bombard your employees with, with uh, phishing or fake emails that make it look like there's a way that you can access your emails because, you know, your email system's usually going to be down or the systems are going to be offline because they took them offline. And then they send phishing emails to your employees and then they try to log into this system to get to their email be during this event. And they type in their username or, and password and now they're taking over email accounts for the employees in your company. Uh, and they contact IT, legal and security teams and warn them of more attacks if the ransom isn't paid. So basically they start taking over email accounts in your company and deploying malware through the email system, right? So they'll send emails and send malware to your partners, to your vendors, you know, any contact that's in your Outlook contacts, they'll just go through all those and they'll start sending out, you know, malware links to them in hopes that they can attack one of your partners or vendors, you know, because they were able to do this as, as part of your, as part of your business. So I guess the question becomes here guys is, and, and why I want to talk about it is where, at what point does this need to be addressed? Like you, you're like, I guess you're, what I'm trying to get here is like, when should businesses be telling their employees that we would never do something like this in the middle of an attack? Like, this is what it's going to look like during an, an attack. And if you get some email like this, you need to know how to ignore it. When does that need to happen? Um, it'd be best to wait till everybody's freaking out and the attack's already happening, right? Good, good, good point. Yeah, no, <laughs> right. And Randy's being totally facetious there. And you know, this has got to be part of your training and awareness, right? Everybody needs to know that if we do get hit with an attack, this is how it's going to play out. This is what it's going to look like. Here's how things are going to change. Um, so you don't fall victim to something like this in the midst of it, right? Because when you're in the midst of it, everybody's stress level is high. Decision-making isn't as great. And why we do this planning is so when you're under stress, you have something to refer to to help you make decisions and you're not trying to make these decisions on the fly, which are usually the wrong decisions. So Andre, anything that you want to add to this phishing campaign or maybe other ways that employees are attacked in the middle of a ransomware attack? Yeah, I, I would say business owners need to think of it as not with respects to 9-11 and the people that died, but like this is this would be your 9-11. You, you've got this section, you know, planes, Twin Towers, then the Pentagon, then Pennsylvania and all of these different places, like everything's getting attacked and there's a plan in place to deal with that. 
So, um, and just think about all the, where your mind is going to be, where your IT, first someone tells you, we can't access our folders because there's ransomware. Then your IT tells you, well, we can't get into the servers. And then, you know, then a customer calls and says, why am I getting this email? Did something happen? Then the media is calling. And then all of these things are happening and you have no plan in place. It's like, it's going to be your 9-11. And, and if you don't have a plan in place, your everything from there is just going to look really bad. All right. So that's a great point, Andre. And, you know, one of the other things we talked about is persistent network access for a long period of time. And this next point um, where the victim or the ransomware attackers use deleting backups as another strategy to um, get to get you to pay the money. Right. And a lot of these, a lot of, as a CEO, you might think, oh, well, we have backups because I talk about it all the time with my IT person. And he you know, even shows me the reports that the backups are successful, right? So we're good. Um, I hear that so much. It's not even funny, right? And then what the IT guy's not telling you is that he's not doing what? What do you need to do to keep attackers away from your backups? What do you... Well you want to password protect that if it's a physical device, then you want to password protect it. Um, you also want to have some type of um, technology where if there is a ransomware, that backup doesn't accept it. It detects that there's a ransomware. And then, of course, you always want to test your backups on a monthly, quarterly basis, whatever time frame your business decides. Yeah, so, go ahead. Well, um, I was going to say... Um... You know, you hear a lot in the backup world about air gap, you know, yeah. where there is um, a separation. You know, they could also get into your online account, wherever you're backing up stuff, where you have it, quote unquote, air gapped. They could delete from there. Um, I would highly suggest you have immutable backups, which are basically not deletable, or maybe you have them set to where they're not, can't be deleted for like five years, um, if not forever. Um, or some length of time. That way they're not able to get in there. And even if they do get in there, they're not able to delete them because you've got some sort of rule set to keep it from happening. It all, I think it all comes back to we need to do security assuming that the bad actors are already in stuff and then make choices like we would if they were already in here. And one of those is Air gap, immutable backups, backups, you know, that can't be deleted or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, that is spot on when you're talking about air gapping and creating separation between the regular network and the the backup, you know, whatever it, it is. It could be an appliance in the, in, the, in the office. It could be going directly to the cloud. There's a lot of different options today, but it's very important for the C-suite to understand how their backups are being done. Because as Randy mentioned, there's two things there um, without getting too deep in the weeds. Number one, you don't want some an attacker who can get on, say, your computer as the CEO or you know your secretary or the marketing person. And then from that computer, be able to see a backup device or backups and just blow that thing out completely. Um, and I like the idea of immutable backups, but that's only if you have them out in the cloud and I can't get to that device. If you only have your backups on a local device and you have that set up and I have the capability to just nuke your device at a 
very high, almost BIOS type level, your immutable backups don't mean anything. So, you know, it's important that you understand your infrastructure and how things are currently operating so you can address the full risk because an attacker, once they get onto a system in your network is going to do, try to figure out everything that they can do uh, to your systems, including your backups. And, and, you know, it's proof here because they're using these backups to as leverage to get paid. So anything else you guys, you want to add to that before we kind of wrap up with the last two here? Yeah. Cool. All right. So sending physical copies of the ransomware note, why would, what, why would, why would that work? Help me understand that. Well, if you, again, if you're an employee and you're just sitting there and all of a sudden your printer starts to get a whole bunch of pages printed, says, you know. Oh, okay. So they don't send it through the mail. This is yeah, what you're talking, what they're talking about and what you're talking about is it comes out on, you know, it can come out on printers. It can come out on POS machines. It could be, if you're in a retail store, it could be your receipts just print out the ransom notes yeah. constantly, nonstop. The TV screen. You're, yeah, you're going to go through a lot of uh, toner, saw face. paper. Hey, you can put it up on digital displays. I mean, there's a lot of different places you could put this stuff. So, um, yeah, just more embarrassment, just more nuisance, right? Just more psychological warfare to get you to pay. So Randy, anything you want to add to the physical delivery of ransomware notes? I mean, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's all back to the psychological warfare. I mean, your imagine if your little POS printers, which have a very specific noise because they're usually dot, a lot of them are dot matrix or, or they have a specific noise and ima ima imagine if they're all going off, you know, in your business and it says, you know, pay the ransom, pay the ransom. That's going to get inside people's heads and it's going to make them make bad decisions because they're going to freak them out. What a, what a lot of a lot of business owners think when they're at this point, they think that there's no way to get the bad actors out of their system. There's no way to get free from this. And making the printers go crazy, that just adds to, to that hysteria. Yep. We got a comment here from, from a uh, audience member, Donovan. Shout out to Donovan. He's a great friend of the community and does an awesome job with pictures from his airplane. So yeah. <laughs> I love following yeah. social media for that. But he just says, great info. All businesses need to be informed about their cyber risks, limiting privileges, monitoring for bad actors, etc. cetera. So, um, Last thing I want to talk about, the Dirty Bird, the DDoS, launching the distributed denial of service attack. So, Andre, what is a distributed denial of service attack, first off, just quickly so everybody understands what that is? Yeah, it's a way, if you have some type of server, um, it's a way of inundating that server where it's taking so much requests that it cannot, it can no longer function properly. So um, slows down the system, makes it almost impossible to surf the web, to get email. Um, they can attack your, your internet router. They can attack your website server. So maybe you do business through e-commerce or maybe your business just uses the web or some sort of, you know, needs the internet to operate its business. And um, if they can dial in on that and prevent you from getting to these websites, it's just another 
reason that you're going to want to pay these guys so they get out of your hair. Um, so these distributed denial service attacks, Randy, what in terms of, you know, how prevalent they are, how easy they are to pull off. I, I, I guess my thought process behind this is, is these, these aren't normal tactics. These are kind of like, if you're a business who's really basically, you know, gone through all the things we've listed and you're still not willing to pay, this is kind of like, you know, pulling out the big guns, so to speak, and just saying like, and not every ransomware group I think could pull this off. Do you agree with me? Yeah. I mean, you've got to have the resources for it. So right. the, the key word in this is the distributed denial of service, the distributed part. Um, typically they have some sort of simpler malware that they've used to infect thousands, hundreds of thousands, even possibly millions of devices. It could be, it could be um, computers, could also be like your ring devices. It could be your phone plugs that are quote unquote smart. And all they do is they get these hundreds of thousands or millions of devices to just start pinging something. A ping is just a, it's a communication symbol used on the uh, a mode, used on the internet, where basically they say to the web server, hey, are you there? And the web server has to say yes. Well, if they get a million of those, it can start to overwhelm the web server. And I would say that of all the scenarios where a ransomware company's uh, or, or criminal is going to come in and, you know, try to disrupt, probably the website's going to be the most like psychological warfare because the employees are going to go, oh, my gosh, they've also infected our web server. You know, our web servers hosted at Rackspace. These guys are into everything. They even got into Rackspace. And, you know, the bottom line, it just messes with your head. I would encourage you um, get your web server onto a service like Cloud Cloudflare, um, which can withstand most most denial uh, distributed denial of service attacks, a.k.a. DDoS. Um, or something like that, just so when you get ransomware, that's not an option for them to bring down your uh, your website. I hate Cloudflare, by the way, just for the record. <laughs> uh, seriously, I hate them because that's where most criminal hackers hide behind. So you yeah, it is. It all they have to do is put their stuff into Cloudflare, and you've already whitelisted Cloudflare um, in your uh, you know in your uh, firewall or whatever. Yeah, you're right. It's a it is a hole in uh, in um, yeah. cloud. When you're, and when you're when you're doing things like I do, trying to find the actual attackers, and they hide behind Cloudflare, and then Cloudflare mm -hmm. makes it really difficult for you to figure out who they are when they know Cloudflare knows exactly who they are. Um, I'll give you this: Cloudflare in recent investigations that I've done for certain things has been forthright about who the hosting company is behind their stuff. They have given us that information without much fanfare. But um, I just wish there was more transparency there with that service, right. especially if you are identifying criminal type activity or nefarious activity. Um, so, so boys, that was a great uh, rundown of like 10 different ways these companies can, or companies can be faced with having to pay the ransom. Um, you know, it's really one of those things that I look at as if you're a business owner, chances are you're one of those people who's an A-type personality or you you like to have control. And when you're in this situation, 
there's no bigger sense of loss of control than when you're here. And that's why they use all these different things. Um, they use, like Randy said, psychological warfare to make sure that they get paid. And Donovan threw in another comment today was, I was informed of a company back in September, they suffered a ransomware attack. It's now September, uh, or no, it's now October, he probably meant, right? Or it's November, I'm sorry, it's <laughs> November 2nd. Uh, so it's now November, so we're two months into it. They're still cleaning up and sending out notifications to all their clients. Not surprised. I mean, not surprised to hear that. Um, you know, if, if you don't have this stuff in place ahead of time and the first time you even think about ransomware in your business is after you have an attack, it's going to be an ugly road to hoe. And these are some of the things that we covered today that you're going to have to deal with. And I, and I hope business owners listen to this podcast and get that perspective and this is why it's important to plan ahead and do all the right things that need to be done. Uh, and if you're an IT professional and you're not going to your company or your clients about these things and having these conversations proactively, um, you know, we're not a regulated industry, but if we were, that would be malpractice, right? So um, just hold yourself to a higher standard and make sure that you're, you're at least opening up these conversations uh, so you don't give your clients and all the business people out there that aren't in tune to this stuff, a false sense of security, um, where they think that you have them taken care of and you really don't, um, because you're not having these conversations and you're not asking them to do anything around this stuff. So, um, next week, boys, I think, uh, we are going to go into all these different things that we talked about. I think a good follow on to this show would be all the things you can do to protect yourself from these things. Cause we really didn't talk about that. We kind of talked mm -hmm. about how this gets played out and what, what a business will see, but how can, what are the actual tactical things that we can tell businesses to do to protect themselves from these types of things? I think there's, there's quite a list that I've already kind of come up with and written down. Um, and I think that'll be a good next show next week, a follow on kind of a part two uh to this is you know how can we eliminate these 10 things to to being a way that i would have to pay the ransom right because ultimately we don't want our our clients and we don't want businesses to be paying the ransom right but we're not in complete control of that at all times so let's let's give people some practical things that they can do in their business next week that'll you know make them much safer from these types of things sound good sounds great yeah. All right, boys, thanks for your input. Uh, again, share the show. Give us some comments. Let your friends and family know that this exists. And, you know, it, we try to break this down to a level anybody can understand. Um, and even when we do get technical, we like to, you know, we bring it back down to a level that most people can understand. And uh, I look at this as a podcast that not only business owners should be listening to, but employees of companies should be listening to. There's no reason why cybersecurity can't get better at your company in a grassroots effort because no employee wants to be that employee that causes a ransomware attack. Mm -hmm. So any got anything you guys want to add before we, uh, we wrap up the recording here. Have a plan. Have a plan. That's right. <laughs> yep. And we'll help you build that plan. Just listen to this podcast. We'll help you get there. We'll help you understand what needs to go into it. Uh, and we'll keep, you know, making a safer and better business world out there for all of us to operate without having to build like this great big firewall that blocks off China and Russia, which is 
something, some, you know, thought that I had a few weeks ago. But all right, boys, keep the internet free and open. We'll just keep protecting it every day. So, all right. All right. End the show. Take care.